thank you so much for the warm welcome. Uh, as Pastor AC said, I've been uh, connected with Tim. Tim and I have been friends for almost a decade. Uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, probably the most important is that we both love God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. <clears throat> and uh, so our friendship is built on a foundation of lament and sorrow and shame. But I've been able to watch as uh, Pastor Tim has shepherded well uh, Phoenix Bible Church. I was around when uh, he and Jaya planted the church, and it's been so fun to watch uh, God use uh, this church to bless and serve uh, Central Phoenix. And I'm also honored to be uh, speaking with you today here at um, what was previously Bethany Bible Church, uh, the, the late Dr. John Mitchell. Uh, was a pastor here. Uh, I think he's got some paintings about the campus. And uh, if you could just share that with some of my congregants, that, you know, paintings are not a bad idea. And, uh, you know, I'll pose for a couple hours for my portrait. That'd be great. Thanks. Uh, So Desert Springs, if you're watching. Uh, So uh, Dr. John Mitchell had this huge vision for church planting in Phoenix. And uh, Desert Springs Bible Church was planted in 1977. At the time, it was the northern edge of Phoenix. Now it's central Phoenix. Uh, cause Phoenix goes all the way to Flagstaff now. And, uh, and so I'm the beneficiary. I met the Lord at Desert Springs Bible Church, was baptized there and have baptized two of my kids there. And my wife and I got married there. And so, uh, I feel like we're all kind of part of the same, like we, we're a daughter church of Bethany Bible Church, but now Bethany has moved with our daughter church, Phoenix Bible Church. So like my family tree in the 1800s, there's some Are we cousins now, or are we, you know, you guys understand? What, okay, so, so anyway, so I, uh, I'm so honored to be with you today, and, and, and as Pastor AC said, we're in a series called Lies About Love, uh, and today we're looking at this lie that singleness is second class, that singleness is second class, and this comes at us from all different types of spaces, could be the church or the culture, um, and I, I just want to share with you kind of the big idea. I know Pastor AC said, you know, all the time Pastor Caleb put in the sermon. Uh, but all the time that I put in the sermon, I've, I've basically come up with this. Um, I think we have it on the slide, maybe, the main point. Uh, the lie is singleness is second class. And uh, the truth is, uh, it's not. If we cut the video feed and tell Tim I did a full 30, uh, we can get out of class early today. You guys ever, anyone substitute teach? You know what I'm doing right now, right? It's like you've, you earned the favor by getting out early. Okay, so I, you get, should we do more than just, okay, we'll do it, just do a little bit more. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And there's this uh, great uh, little moment in the life of this dude named the Apostle Paul. Paul uh, is writing to this church in a place called Corinth, which was this huge metropolitan area. And he's applying the gospel to their particular context. And one of the things that they're uh, thinking through is sex and marriage and family and singleness and how that all works uh, in the context of living as a church in the middle of uh, a particular culture, in their, in their case, the Corinthian culture. This idea of singleness being second class, it's not unique to us. It's not unique to today. In fact, in Corinth, it was an extremely 
uh, popular idea that singleness is anathema. It's something that we should steer clear of. Uh, and yet Paul writes this text of 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, but I just want to notice that it, we're, we're like the Corinthians. We're in the middle of a culture uh, that by and large, especially if you're evangelical like I am, that by and large favors married as a status over single. But it's not just in the church. Uh, although the church does kind of have this caste system thing where it's like when you're a kid, you go to kids ministry. Then when you're a youth, you go to... Youth ministry, cookies are on the low shelf, fams. Okay, so youth, you go to, and when you're college, you go to, and then when you graduate college, and if you're still single, you go to, and you're a young adult, you go to young adult ministry, and then you graduate up. And if, it's, if, you're, if you're like at the certain age where young is a stretch, and you're still single, you go to singles ministry, and then you graduate and you make it to normal, real adult. You guys ever sensed that before? We kind of have this caste system of expectation built in even to how we think about ministry in the church. And I'm all for kids ministry and I'm all for college ministry, but I would just notice that within the evangelical culture, there is or can be a caste system where in order to be like pro-level Christian, you got to be married with kids. I just want to say, as we'll see today, that, that Paul completely obliterates that idea. But it's not just evangelicals. It's, it's like in the water. Uh, I was at the barbershop yesterday. And now I got to tell you about my barbershop. Barbershop, it's kind of one of those places where it's like uh, you get in, you get out. Like they're not, they're, I'm not there to talk, right? I'm there for a haircut. And it's also like a, like a, like a dude's place. It's kind of like a garage atmosphere. There's like straight razors everywhere. Everyone's got tattoos and beards and, you know, a lot of like, rah. so, you know, it kind of helps uh, as an evangelical pastor. I like to go there because, uh, you know, it kind of makes me feel like, oh, I could be a mechanic if I wanted to. I, I, I'm not going, I can't, I can't do it. Um, so I love going to this barbershop, but I'm in this barbershop. So you got this scene, right? Like there's classic rock playing. Everyone's kind of gruff and mumpy and, you know, uh, and, and on the TV, as I saddle up into the chair to get my hair cut, on the TV is the movie, The Wedding Singer. And, and I, I, I'm like, I didn't come here. Well, I'm expecting sports or like Rambo or something, not the wedding. And, you know, Wedding Singer, for those of you that may not know, I've got the synopsis here. Uh, the Wedding Singer, 1998, classic film. It's a rom-com, romantic comedy, okay? Uh, so this rom-com is, here's the synopsis. Robbie, uh, a singer, and Julia, a waitress, are both engaged, but to the wrong people. Fortune intervenes to help them discover each other. So I'm in my barbershop, and this, you know, abomination of desolation is on the TV. And I'm like, I didn't come here for rom-com, but here's the deal about the, the romantic comedy concept, right? How does the movie in romantic comedies, how almost always do they end? If the people start lonely or the people start frustrated, what's the, usually the last scene? Uh, how do they do weddings here? Like, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. right? The dress and all that kind of stuff. And the, the climax of the movie is the wedding. Okay, so I was lonely and the answer is to get 
It's in almost all of these romantic comedies. Now, finally, uh, as I'm sitting in the chair, uh, you know, actually when I came in, the movie was almost over. The movie ends and I'm like, oh, thank God. And then that thing comes on where it's like, up next, 50 first dates. (laughs) And if I didn't have my fill of Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, I did by the end of that particular show. I also want to notice that I am not single. Gasp. Contrary to my junior high self, shocked. So what gives me the right to get up here and to talk to you about singleness? Well, I just would invite you. Uh, I'm, I don't want to speak to you from my experience because that likely won't be any gift to you. What I'd like to do, because I'm like a Bible guy, uh, is I would like to share with you what I hope to be a, a truth that answers the lie that singleness is second class in such a way that would bring to you hope and peace. Uh, I don't think if I just shared my experience that there would be any hope and peace for you. So I just would like to share, from you, uh, share with you from the word of God today. And I'd like to share a text that was written by a single man. He says this, Paul does, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. Chapter seven, verses seven through eight. He's talking about marriage. And then he does this little pivot where he says, I wish that all of y'all were as I myself am, but each of you have their own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, talks to them about marriage and then pivots and says, but you know what else is equally as good? Do you know what else is equally filled with God's grace? Do you know what else is equally beneficial for the church? Not only to be married, but to also be single. Singleness, far from being second class, is actually a unique gift. For those of you that are married, I want to encourage you in this it's extremely likely that you will not be married for the rest of your life. Usually, couples do not die at the same time. My grandma was married for 40 years and then did another 30 after grandpa died. She had a vibrant, healthy, faith-filled life. Far from the concept of the old maid, She did 30 years in service of the Lord, single. And so whether or not you're married today, it's highly likely that you will be single perhaps in the future. There are many of us who are single today and you may remain single. Whatever state you find yourself in today, I believe that this text has something to offer us. That whether, what Paul is saying is whether single or divorced, married, remarried, widowed, or other, Jesus invites us to love and serve God and to love and serve others today. Whatever state you find yourself in, whether single, divorced, married, remarried, widowed, or widower, Jesus invites us to love and serve God and to love and serve others today. Now, how can Paul say this? How can Paul elevate marriage and then say something that sounds so contradictory, namely, it's good to be single? Well, I think there's three things for us to meditate on. Uh, as we engage in this text. Number one is his vocation. Number two is his view of scripture. 
And number three is his relationship with Jesus. Number one is vocation or his calling. Number two is Paul's view of scripture, how he understands the Bible. And number three is his relationship with Jesus. First, his vocation. The apostle Paul was an, what was his job? What was the apostle Paul's job? It's in the, it's the, so the apostle Paul, what was his job? Apostle, you guys are so sharp, contrary to what Tim said. So <laughs> apostle means sent one. So Paul, what, what Paul's like life mission was, is to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then go out into all of these places, like the edges of the earth, where there are all these people who had never heard of Jesus and he's sent, he's an apostle, he's a sent one, and he goes out into these places, he shares the good news and he plants churches. And then what we have in the New Testament are a bunch of letters written to those churches telling them to knock it off. Because when Paul would plant a church, he recognized that he was planting a church in and among people who are a hot mess. And just, and for those of you that are still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, maybe you're curious today, maybe you're here at Phoenix Bible Church trying to see if there's anything Jesus has for you, but these Christians are super weird. That's true. It doesn't get any better once you get on the inside. So you're, maybe you're trying to figure out what, what Jesus is and, and you're wondering, okay, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Here's what I can tell you is that if you start following Jesus, the rest of your life doesn't magically get fixed. Any Christians up in this house who can testify today that just to follow Jesus doesn't mean that everything, that you stop being a mess. In fact, the mess continues on And over the course of our lives, if we submit ourselves to the spirit of the living God, we might find ourselves changed. But rarely is it overnight. I know there's some 80-year-old saints in this house who are saying, I ain't done yet. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church saying, listen, you guys, I want you to think about what Jesus has called you to. And so he's this apostle, this sent one. And what Paul does is he recognized that the kingdom of God is for everybody. Who's the kingdom of God for? Including the people you hate? Yep. And that's what, so when you feel tension, when you feel frustration with the, with the political opinions or the doctrinal beliefs or the, the preferences of other or the musical styles that, that each of you share, when you find yourselves in tension, that's a feature of the church, not a bug because in that tension is space for us to grow more and more into the image of Christ. And so Paul recognizes that that, that the kingdom of God is for, the church is for everybody. And he brings, he goes into a place like Corinth and he brings everybody to the table and he he wants to see the kingdom of God reflected in the church on earth as it is in heaven. And so he is constantly talking about ethnic divisions and tension, marriage and, and single divisions and tension, economic divisions and tension, educational divisions and tension. And he's constantly coaching them on how to live on earth as it is in heaven. And this is substantially subversive to the cultural norms of the day. In Corinth, it was like expected that if you were single, you should hurry up and get married. So for, the, for Greek culture in Corinth, marriage was a status symbol. And so if, you're, if you were of marrying age, what did everybody in your family and everyone in Corinth expect you to do? Get so that you could do what? 
have kids because that's our economy for goodness sakes. That's our army for goodness sakes. The social pressure to be married was insane in the Greco-Roman world, especially in Corinth. And then if you happen to be in a Jewish community, they also elevated marriage. In fact, they wanted you to get married quick. And if you were widowed or a widower, what did everyone expect you to do? Get re- So Paul rolls in and he says, listen, in the kingdom of God, your marital status does not designate your worth. In the kingdom of God, being single is neither better nor worse than being married. What he says here in 1 Corinthians is radically subversive to the cultural pressures and expectations in Corinth. This is one of the reasons why historically the church has elevated singleness as as an honorable and godly state of being in the world. Paul says, remain single as I am. Now, we don't know if Paul was married and now a widower or divorced, or or maybe he was never married, which I I think is probably unlikely given his Jewish background, but we, we don't really know. Either way, when he writes the letter to the Corinthian church, he is not married. And he says, I expect to stay this way for the sake of the gospel, and it's good for you to be in that state as well. What Paul says is, whether you're single, divorced, married, remarried, widowed, widower, Jesus invites you to love and serve God and love and serve others today. Now, his view of scripture, that's his vocation, his view of scripture. Many heroes in scripture honor, love, and serve God and honor, love, and serve others in the state of being single. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of like... uh, do any of you play Bible trivia like at your birthday parties? Or is it just me? No, I'm seeing a lot of this. Just me, isn't it? Okay, so if you get stuck at a pastor's house on their birthday, I'm going to give you some Bible trivia stuff. Okay, ready? So like uh, uh, Jeremiah, there's a book of the Bible named after Jeremiah, single. Uh, Ruth uh, showed her faithfulness and the whole story is about her singleness. Nehemiah was, from what we can tell, single. In the New Testament, you see Anna in Luke chapter two, who's in service, public service of others at the temple. You see John the Baptist. And and from what we can tell, many of the 12 that Jesus called to him were single. In the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, who from church tradition took the gospel to Ethiopia, was single. Lydia, who was a church leader in the book of Acts chapter 16, is the only Philippian convert named in the book of Acts, which likely means that she was a leader of some position in the Philippian church. Uh, Paul knew Lydia firsthand. In fact, Lydia uh, argued with Paul and won which is a big deal because Paul wrote some of the Bible. So if you're going to argue with someone who wrote some of the Bible, you got to be a real good arguer, right? And so Lydia also, uh, we understand to be single. So Paul recognizes in scripture that singleness and marriedness, that neither of them are preferred states of being as it relates to service in the kingdom of God. Paul levels the playing field. Whether today you find yourself single or you find yourself married, the call is to love and serve God and love and serve others. Now, I believe that Paul says this also, not, because of his, not only because of his vocation, not only because of his view of scripture, but also because of his relationship with, with Jesus. I, this is my conjecture. Uh, I think Paul's riffing on Jesus' teaching that there are some 
who, in Matthew chapter 19, that there are some who are to be married or who find themselves married, but also there are those, and Jesus uses this really weird enigmatic thing where he says that some people take on the posture of a eunuch or an unmarried person in order to serve others in the kingdom of God. And I think Paul's riffing on that here. And I think that Paul finds in Jesus all of his hopes. I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you think Paul was like a person? Like an actual human? Let me do that one more time. Cookies are on the low shelf, family. Do you think that Paul was like an actual human? Do you think Paul was perfect? Do you think Paul had some sort of like transcendent, non-emotional state of being? Paul, more than likely, longed to know and be known intimately. The reason I can say that is, from my understanding of Scripture and the human condition, humans do. We long to know and to truly be known. Paul is no different than we are in that regard. And yet, Paul says it's good to be single. How can Paul say that? Because Paul recognizes that even if one is married, the one to whom they are married is imperfect. Any married people in the house want to give testimony or perhaps nudge your spouse presently? Even for those of us who find ourselves currently married, we are not truly and ultimately known, nor do we truly and ultimately know the other, for we are imperfect beings. The only one who we can know truly and who knows us truly is Jesus. For those of you who long to be known, whatever your state of being is today, for those of you who long to be truly known, I believe that Paul points us to the one who truly knows. There's a great uh, ancient mystic who was meditate on this, uh, on this idea. She was meditating on the intimate relationship that we have with our creator, the intimate relationship that we have with our savior. And she was a single woman and she was meditating on this in her longing to know and be truly known. And she said something like this, that Jesus is nearer to you than you are to your own self. that Jesus is nearer to you than you are to your own self. The book of Colossians says that the very molecular fabric that makes up my being is intimately held together by the Son of God. And so if Christ is so intimately interwoven in my molecular state of being, then do you think he knows me? Like not just know stuff about me, But like, do you think he knows, even like there's this really great thing in scripture, which says um, like, uh, you know how sometimes you have feelings you can't put words to? That ever happened to you? Like you just say things like, I don't know, my guts ache. Like we talk about about what we're feeling by talking about how it's physiologically impacting us. Like my guts hurt for you. I, I don't even know, I don't even have the words. The scripture teaches that Jesus knows us so well that he has names for how we're feeling. Jesus is nearer to you than you are to your own self. And so our longing to be known is met in Jesus. There's this great uh, scene in the book of Revelation, which we just had so beautifully read from a moment ago. And it's this scene in uh, Revelation chapter 19 called the marriage supper of the lamb. 
that the ultimate end, which is also a beginning, but the ultimate end is a wedding feast. Jesus is referred to as the groom and his church is referred to as the bride. This beautiful, intimate knowing will, can be, though imperfectly, held now and will ultimately be in its fullness. Our desire to know and be truly known can be, in a sense, though imperfectly, grasped now and will be in its fullness grasped in the future. Whether you're single, divorced, married, remarried, widowed, widower, Jesus invites you to love and serve God and love and serve others. So what do we do with this? As we think about Paul's vocation, his view of scripture, his relationship with Jesus, just a few uh, parting thoughts as we conclude this morning. Number one, do not fear, for those of you that are single, do not fear that you're missing God's will. Lori Smith, who wrote the book, The Single Truth, Challenging the Misconceptions of Singleness with God's Consuming Truth, which I highly recommend to you, Lori Smith, again, The Single Truth. She says, if you're following God and obeying him, you have no need to worry about whether you've missed his will for your life. A friend of mine has spent about 20 years torturing himself, wondering if he should have married the one that got away. He, he says out loud things like, I wonder if she was the one God had for me and I missed it. Let me just ask, if, if you're there today, does that sound like Jesus to you? Like Jesus was like, I sent you the one and you were dumb and you missed it. Like, is that like a Jesus way? Like, it, like it, do you think that Jesus is like, it's one and done? Or do you know Jesus to be full of grace? and tender mercy? Do you, do you know Jesus to be the one who is constantly chasing after us? Do you, do, do you think Jesus is the one who knows all of our imperfections and failures before they even happen? I love what Laurie Smith says, that if you're following God and obeying him, you have no need to worry about whether you've missed God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to know him. And so look to him. Number two, no matter your current status, contentment. Contentment. And I know that that can be hard to hear, but Paul is not superhuman. Paul is saying this as one who more than likely longed to be married as well. And yet he in Philippians chapter four says, I have learned to be content. Listen to this. I've learned, 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 which means it's a process, right? I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, whether it's single, married, remarried, divorced, widowed, widower, whatever status you find yourself in today, the Lord invites you to know him, to rest in him, and to allow for contentment to be produced through that relationship. Horatio Spafford, who uh, was, um, uh, he wrote the psalm, uh, or excuse me, the hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, you guys know, I know the PBC people don't know that. Any Bethany people in the house, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it is well with my soul, thank you. Horatio Spafford uh, lost four of his daughters in a tragic accident. And as he it was in a, um, uh, I believe a ship had sunk. And when he was on the ship that uh, it was going on the same path, 
uh, as they approached the place uh, where his daughters had passed, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, Christ, the one who holds together the cosmos and our molecular structure, invites us to know him and to today allow our knowing him to produce within us contentment. Number three, marriage is not the only or even primary means of intimacy. Uh, American evangelicals have an absolutely impoverished theology of friendship. Uh, The ancients, including many of the biblical authors, elevated friendship as one of the key ways that we can find true belonging and knowing with one another. Uh, That's a whole other sermon, but I would uh, encourage you to view friendship as a gift and a means of intimacy, knowing and knowing others. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you guys heard it? C.S. Bethany people, you guys know what I'm talking about? Thank you, you guys are right here. Okay, so uh, C.S. Lewis, he did the Narnia thing, uh, but he also wrote a book called The Four Loves. Uh, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of The Four Loves and to view his essay on friendship. Um, I believe it will change your life. And C.S. Lewis, most of his life uh, was single. Number four, there is no shame in singleness. Although many cultures expect marriage, for instance, Nigeria uh, uh, and many um, African countries expect women to marry and produce as soon as possible. Many Middle Eastern cultures expect you to get married to multiple spouses, in particular, multiple wives, so you can have more children. American evangelicals, very similar. There's, (laughs) okay, can I talk to y'all for a minute? Uh, Like people who are single, you know what question they don't like to hear? dating anyone yet? And you know, couples who don't have kids, you know what question they don't like to hear? When am I getting grandbabies? Why? Well, sometimes that can be a real honest and, and, and good question. But sometimes when it's asked over and over and over, it can feel like piercing arrows, like I'm not living up to your expectations. Or If I don't answer this question soon, I may be excused from this community. So I'm going to talk to the married folks for just a quick minute. I want to invite you to look at your calendar, your social life, who's invited over, who you're dining with. Is it only people who are just like you? Who's the kingdom of God? Like, who, who should be represented in the church? Like, just, just people like me or like, um, like everybody? At our tables, we can practice on earth as it is in heaven by having diverse communion fellowship around tables. I just encourage you to consider your calendar and your social uh, engagements. There's no shame in being single. Albert Zhu, who wrote the book Singles at the Crossroads, says this, Uh, that Jesus shows dignity and personhood come not from marriage and progeny, but from identity as citizens of the kingdom of God. In whatever state we find ourselves, if we are in Christ, there lay our dignity, worth, and value. 
Also, I would encourage you to recognize, as a church family in particular, to recognize the unique blessings that singles bring to you and your community and your communion. In our church family, uh, I don't think I'll name their names. Um, I don't want to embarrass them. Uh, but we have someone very close to our family, and she's uh, one of my wife's closest friends. She's single, uh, has been single her whole life, and my kids call her auntie. And she is an aunt to my children. She's intricately interwoven in our family. Another woman, Kay, uh, is an executive, and she fosters a little boy and cares for his mom as she seeks recovery. Um, Lynette is a military veteran who spends hours upon hours upon hours each week praying for people, one-on-one, over the phone, writing cards. Uh, Jay really wants to get married because Jay tells me that Jay wants to get married all the time. And yet in Jay's singleness, Jay is able to spend countless hours uh, serving the youth in our church family. Um, Caroline is a widow and she has dedicated her life to serving young moms in crisis and does so in our church. Bill is a kind, joyful young man, full of energy, always dancing around and brings delight and joy to our congregation. Carl, his wife left him and he is raising kids on his own, working and uh, intentionally deploys his family in the service of the church. Mary is patient, kind, long-suffering and a giver of hope when all feels hopeless. Chuck is a widower who is homebound and yet spends much of his time sending prayer cards to people that he knows are in crisis. Steve is a widower also and cares for the little kids, packing snacks and giving out juice boxes, recognizing the unique blessings in our church. I would invite you, no matter what status you find yourself in, whether it's single or married, divorced, remarried, widow, widower, to each day, recognize that God invites you, no matter your status, to love and serve him and to love and serve others. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we know that you love us. And we know that both marriage and singleness are good. And you have a different calling for each of us. And so as we look upon our vocation, and we study your word. And Jesus, as we connect heart to heart with you, would you guide us day by day, step by step, moment by moment, in the ways that you're calling us to love and serve you, to love and serve others. And may this love and service be anchored in the truth that you are so loving, kind, gracious, and that you know us better than we know ourselves, and you are nearer to us even right now than we are to our own self. And so, Jesus, I recognize your presence here with us. And I pray that you would empower us to move forward in love, mercy, beauty, and grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.